This is the Shift Podcast. Today on the Shift Daily Podcast, is it buy now, pay later, or buy now, pay more later? Taz Rajan of Community Engagement Partner, Bromwich and Smith, tells us the pros and cons of buy now, pay later systems online and other ways we can get trapped into debt while online shopping. But there are some ways that it can actually benefit you if you're disciplined around it. We need to learn. How are the wealthiest people on earth prepping for doomsday? In a very strange and weird world of weird things with Greg Fish, we find out the weird, surprising, and over the top ways rich and powerful are preparing for the end of the world and then restarting life after the fact. Plus, are you okay with hot dogs and more on the Shift Daily Podcast? This is the Shift Podcast. Are you okay with hot dogs? Good hot dog. Change your life. It's this one way to put it. I mean, it's just, it's just so good. And I will say, like, the cheeseburger is probably my my single favorite food item. But if I'm at a barbecue and people are making hot dogs or burgers, I'm probably going to eat a hot dog first. I mm. don't know. There's just something so beautifully special about a hot dog with ketchup, mustard, and onions. Like, that's just, there's just something magical about that. Mm-hmm. Okay, so what about Costco hot dogs? Have you ever had a Costco hot dog, BK? Uh, yeah, uh, again, weird, weird cult. I don't know what's going on there. I never, I, like, I had one and I was told it was going to be the best hot dog I'd ever have. And I had it, I was like, eh, it's all right. It's eh. 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 It was that. Wow. Come on. Dude, the Costco hot dogs are the cream of the crop. They're the, they're the peak. It just doesn't get the size. The, the proportion is perfect. The bun is uh, delicious and it's sesame just, again bun. ketchup mustard and onion it's like no, it's a reward just, just, just mustard for well, just mustard mustard only okay nope. well, that's where we disagree but Too much sugar. i'm not gonna judge you <laughs> i'm not gonna judge you for how you dress your hot dog but it's like a reward you spend 350 dollars on on bulk stuff you get an incredible hot dog it's it's the yeah. magical i loved going to costco as a kid for that for that one reason mm-hmm. is that right all right well it's the best bang for your buck uh it is said that for as long as the universe has existed the costco hot dog has been a dollar fifty it's a long time but with inflation the cost of living the cost of food and all the things that are going on in the world is that price of a dollar fifty still guaranteed the consistent the only thing more consistent than queen elizabeth ii was the costco hot dog mm-hmm. will the costco hot dogs go up in price though Big controversy. The CEO of Costco has the answer for you. You must be tired at this point of answering questions about food court, but you did tweak some prices on some items on the menu, which inevitably <laughs> leads to speculation about the hot dog combo. Is there any inflationary environment where you would raise that price? <laughs> no. <laughs> wow. It's very well spoken, the CEO of Costco. Magic. Wow. Uh, that was from CNBC, by the way, from two months ago. The Costco CFO, Richard Galanti, reaffirmed this statement last week in a press release that the whole world watched. You thought everybody watched NASA and the rockets and the asteroids. You thought everybody was watching that. Nope. They're watching the Costco presentation. Galanti said during the fourth quarter financial results that they're not trying to fill in the gaps potentially left by the inexpensive meal. Galanti said other areas like gas and travel side of the business are doing well enough to help them be more aggressive in other parts of the store. Or, as you mentioned, hold the price on the hot dog and the soda a little longer forever, he said. If adjusted for inflation, MarketWatch calculated the hot dog combo would be $4.11 by now. Still a bit wow. of a bargain. That, I can't even comprehend that fact. Paying four dollars, and that's probably American pricing too. So in Canada, it'd be like thirty. Um, you know, I just can't fathom paying more than a dollar fifty for that hot dog. I will say though, when you buy a pack of those frozen hot dogs at Costco, it's not cheap. Like it's you're paying like twenty five bucks for a pack of hot dogs, which is a lot. Mm-hmm. But just the one hot dog on its own, I mean, that's it's it's good. It's perfect. It's all it's all I need. I want one now. How much have you spent on? coffee or yeah, lattes the last week, right? I was just gonna last say. week? 
do you count me buying the coffee that I put into my Nespresso machine? Because I have not bought a coffee from anywhere other than Nespresso in two weeks. Really? Okay. That does answer the question. I was just curious. I find it funny that you're complaining about $4 for a hot dog when you just talked about spending $200 on a hoodie. Hey, it's a hoodie. I wear that. You know, a hot dog, I eat that. Coffee, yeah, I drink wear that. Yeah, he's got to he's gotta make cuts somewhere. Any any good financial right. expert makes cuts. Yeah. $200 already? Only $1.50 for the hot dog. Balances, right. Balancing now the you books know. there. You know, now know, guys, ago. where I draw the line. Lemonade. Hot dog and lemonade. Mustard. Costco lemonade. Nice. Mm-hmm. It's good. Are you okay with... Oh, the chicken fingers are really good too, by the way. Yeah, it's right. expensive. But. And the poutine. Mm-hmm. Is that all right? Are you okay with donating blood? I've never done it. I've always wanted to, but I've never, really? I've never done it. I, I don't know why. I don't have a. Let's go. I, I don't like looking at blood, but like I don't have to look at the bag. Uh, and I, dude, I don't even know what blood type I am. Yeah. Uh, so I should, yeah, I should probably get on that. But I, I've. I think it's an amazing thing to do, and you get a cookie, right? I think you get a cookie or a juice box or something. That's mostly so you don't pass out, but yeah. Yeah, which that's fine by me. That's that's okay with me. But I would, I'm I'm definitely a okay with it for sure. Take you, we'll go. I don't know if I've done it in a very long time. Yeah, Yeah, it's been forever. I don't know. I I was just thinking that when you said that, are you okay with? I was like, I don't know my blood type. I should have asked my mom when I was talking to her earlier. (laughs) Holds red. Yeah, it's red. Yeah, I know that. I've seen it. Yeah, yeah. I've seen it. Yeah, uh, the world is always in need of more blood donations. We all hear that all the time. But lots of us, we don't do it. We um um we we don't go and get the job done for no real reason. I, I think most of us would like to, but maybe it's something we should look at a little bit more often. Hey, most of the blood uh, comes from one place, though. If you need it, the United States. According to data from the U.S. Census Bureau, plasma, vaccines, and blood exports in 2017 were valued at about $20 billion. Dr. Robert Slonim, a global economist at the University of Sydney, estimates that 80% of the world market is receiving plasma from someplace outside its country of origin. For many countries for a very long time, has not been able to um, collect enough plasma for its needs. The U.S. has a paid system, and it's through private blood banks. It's basically the world supplier of plasma. As an example, in Australia, about 50% of all plasma products that are provided by the hospitals that that enter the market here are coming from paid donors from the U.S. So capitalism. But that's okay. They're buying the blood. Works out. We donate it. It's different. You can get paid. You go donate blood. You get a few bucks. Sure. But how about this? This is a cool idea. At a Berlin museum, there's a show there that's hoping to secure more blood donations in a very unconventional way. Well, they're going to take the blood donations in a conventional way. Just the reason okay. to get you there is unconventional. We should probably be clear on that. Yes, yeah, fair. Good call. Yeah. Yeah. Berlin's National Gallery will be hosting blood donations on site, part of an exhibit about Nosferatu, the vampire. The exhibit aims to unpack the legacy of the influential German filmmaker Friedrich Wilhelm Murnau, known for his 1922 low-budget silent horror film Nosferatu. About a vampire from Transylvania. It's going to be fantastic. (laughs) (laughs) The movie was actually an unauthorized adaptation of Bram Stoker's Dracula. (laughs) Yeah, I did it again. (laughs) That's a fat typo, right? Yeah. Keep doing that. I don't know why. Maybe I left that one in on purpose. Maybe I keep forgetting how to spell that guy's name. It's a typo! It's a typo. Uh, his last name is Stoker, not Stroker. Stoker. <laughs> That's a totally different movie. Okay. We're going to start that sentence again. The movie was actually an unauthorized adaptation of Bram Stoker's Dracula. It's also known as one of the best silent films ever made and still kind of creepy. The vampire is an icon of classic cinema, even modern-day pop culture. He's made appearances on The Simpsons and even Ryan's favorite, SpongeBob SquarePants. I called earlier, but I hung up because I was nervous. Do you have references? Wait! If that was you on the phone and you on the bus, then who was flickering the lights? 
Why did Ryan's got the jokes all over this? Why did Nosferatu fail at art? Why, Shane? He was only able to draw blood. The exhibition Phantoms of the Night, 100 Years of Nosferatu, runs December 21st to January 12th. No word if they got a proper vampire to conduct the donations. But it's kind of a neat idea. You go there, you learn about the vampire, you donate blood on the way out. I guess neat. It's a great idea. idea. I I think they should give the, uh, I I don't know what you would call, is it a nurses who do the actual... Like uh, laboratory apart. technicians, I believe, is what That's they're actually it. called here. So um, I hope you give the lab techs like a pair of fangs. That would be pretty funny, like fake fangs or like a cape or something like that. That'd be fun. Mm-hmm. Or just oh, a full nose for R2 makeup, which is v- still very weird and creepy to look at, by the way. The movie mm-hmm. is whack. Good whack. Mm-hmm. Can we translate whack, please? Sure. Uh, it's crazy and spooky. <laughs> Thank you. You're welcome. <laughs> Are you okay with seals? Yeah, they're pretty cute. I know. I I think they're very cute. I've never seen one ever in my life, but on on really? social You've media, you've never seen a seal. I've never seen a seal. No, I, like I, I went to Marine Land, and all I remember <sighs> is the roller coasters. I don't actually remember the animals at all. Uh, <sighs> but the no, I, I've never seen a seal. But they look cute on. What's that, Brendan? You blocked that out. Yeah. Yeah. So, I don't know. Yeah, I blocked it out. I, I would love to see one seal one one day. <laughs> oh, BK, do you love seals? I do. I absolutely love seals, and I every time I see one, I apologize for my past. Um, BK has worked in environments where seals were there. Okay, uh, my favorite... My favorite uh, seals uh, is named Dan. My Dan favorite seal. Uh, no, just Dan Seals, actually. Oh. Put on your socks, baby. Like this is good stuff, man. Roll up the road. This is proper good to right here. Yeah. Do you uh, you familiar with the Dan Seals, right? No, because I thought you were going to play Kiss from a Rose or something. Yeah, well, I like Kiss from a Rose. Or Crazy. What about that scene? No, that's I was almost like, I, the way I even wrote it, I was like almost certain one of you was going to play that song. Fly like an eagle. Seal. This is Dan Seals. So it's actually a plural appropriate. Here you go. Good stuff right there. Yeah. It's not what you meant? No. I want to be about with you, baby, all night long. All right. Just a little earworm. Anyway, uh, seals belong in the sea, but somehow a gray seal wandered into a pond near Boston and avoided the police for weeks. The story of a gray seal first appeared earlier this month in a shoe pond in the no wonder Ryan found the story. He's probably Googling shoes. Um, in the city of Beverly, northeast of Boston, the animals believed to have traveled to the pond from the sea via a river and drainage pipes. The seal must have known the popo was on the hunt for him. Aw, seal hunts, do we have to go on that? He was actually tu- he actually turned himself in. Well, the saga of Schubert the seal is over, and boy, it ended in a surprising way. Early this morning, the seal, who's been swimming in Shoe Pond in Beverly for the past week, showed up at the police department on his own. Check out the surveillance video here. It shows Schubert making his way through the parking lot of the shopping center between the pond and the police department. Somehow he knew where to go. Officers say the seal apparently got out of the water and ended up at the side door. So officers, animal control, as well as biologists from NOAA bundled him up and took him to the Mystic Aquarium. In a Facebook post, Beverly Police wrote, Thank you, Schubert, for having faith in the BPD. You will be deeply missed by your friends here. Over the past week, you brought a lot of joy and happiness to our city. Feel free to come back and visit anytime, which I don't think the people at the aquarium would recommend, by the way. So that's from CBS Boston, by the way. So this poor seal basically turned himself in and without a trial has gone to aquarium jail for the rest of his life. 
uh, temporary aquarium jail. Are you sure? He will be released back into the ocean. Yes. Oh, okay. Yes. All right. Thankfully. Man- yeah. So he's in a holding cell. <laughs> yeah. The manager of the aquarium told the news that the seal is acting like a typical feisty four-year-old gray seal, and he's okay. Schubert from Shoe Pond. <laughs> oh, Schubert. <laughs> oh, this, look at the puns today. This is excellent. Holy. Anyway, I still want him on a bebop with you, baby. This is the Shift Podcast. Going shopping. Oh, it's tempting. You see that thing. And then, of course, the online stores, I don't even know if it's real or not. They'll say there's like a 100 people looking at this item and there's only two left. You better buy it now. (sighs) Don't have the money. Oh, but wait, I can pay later. Good or bad? Good question. Taz Rajan joins us here. She's with uh, Community community Engagement Partner, Bromwich and Smith. Taz, thanks for being here. Really appreciate it. Thanks for having me, Shane. Buy now, pay later. This uh, this can't be good. I mean, I maybe I'm looking at my own debt, Taz, and I'm like, ugh, more debt. But how tempting is this in this instant gratification world that now instantly you can have a payment plan on the smallest of items? Tell me about the money. Yeah, I, I think you did a great setup. And I think that's very real. That's exactly what happens. You're online, or you're out shopping for a vehicle or whatever that may be. And you see something and initially, you know, you look at the sticker price, and like, Oh, yikes, I can't afford that. And then somebody says, but you can afford the payments on it. <laughs> and so of course, it's tempting, because we all we want to keep up with the Joneses, we want to have the nice things, we feel that, you know, we work hard, and we want to play hard, and we want to have those things. It's very tempting. And it's, it's very normal to be tempted. I mean, I'm in the finance industry, but trust me, I'm tempted. <laughs> well, let me let me burst your bubble. I actually have I mean, I own some online stores. And so I have a command line that I can put in a formula that will manufacture on its own. Doesn't even have to be true or not. It will manufacture how many customers are viewing at this product and the rotation of those numbers. I can manufacture how many are left. Hurry up. I can put a hurry up message after two left, four left, 10 left. And not only that, I can also manufacture completely fake how many have sold in the last... 10 hours, eight hours, four hours, hour. All of those are automated algorithms that I can add to my store if I want. That means the even it's possible that everything to do with it is completely fake and manufactured. How does that make yeah. you feel if we're splitting it up into payments? Well, like, thank you even for sharing, you know, that's a behind the scenes little secret. But you know, it's, if anyone's ever been in sales, the one of the oldest rules of sales is create urgency, create a sense of urgency. So now you're in an online space. How do you create a sense of urgency? You have these algorithms that tell you if you don't get this now, and they're playing to a certain side of our brain that starts to go, oh, 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 no, it, it's going or wow, like it must be so good. Look at how many thousands of people have bought it, um, which Again, if that is something that you need and it's in your budget, go ahead and buy it, whether that stuff is real or fake or it doesn't matter, right? I need to replace my computer. My budget was X. The computer's on sale. It's in my budget. Now I know that these algorithms are probably fake, but I need the computer and it's in my budget. Go for it, right? But I think that the slippery slope and the reason we say buy now, pay dearly The slippery slope is when it's not actually in your budget. So it's that impulse buy. It's that, oh my God, oh my God, there's only one left. I got to buy it. And what is the cost of paying later? Are you paying dearly? The way that I say it, to contribute to your play on the words is, is the question buy now, pay more later? That's what we need to pay attention to. And it certainly is, you know, um, I've done the math in the past. I don't have it with me at the moment, but quite often, you'll whatever the sticker price is of something, when you look at the actual interest that you're paying to 
to pay it off later, you're often paying three, four, seven, nine times that sticker price when you add up all the interest that has accrued for you to actually pay it off in X number of years. So we, we, we don't think about that in the moment. We want this item and we look at the $100 a month or $50 a month and like, this is great. I'll pay it off in 10 years. Great. And it's in the very, very tiny, teeny, tiny little fine print, but who, who reads that? Um, and then we wonder why, you know, you were saying you're thinking about your own debt. Like, you know, I've had my own debt journey. And then we wonder why, why am I in debt? Why can't I get out of debt? Why haven't I paid this thing off yet? Because we're being set up for it in some ways. So we get sucked in in different ways, uh, Taz, and help correct me here. Um, we get sucked in in many different ways. And first of all, if it's a $1,000, $2,000 item, you're talking like, 10 payments, 20 payments, whatever. That's some big deal stuff where that interest rate really gets heavy quick. If it's a $50 hoodie and it's four payments of $12, uh, then okay, maybe workable. Who cares about the interest? You might pay four bucks in interest. No big deal. It gets you access to the product. So we need to be aware of that. But what about the other side, Taz? Because some of these companies like Apple and stuff like that, they are offering no interest always on yes. their purchases. So that tells me, as a dirty capitalist that I am, that tells me that the interest rate of my phone is built into it. Meaning, so if it's a $2,000 phone, I'd like to say $1,000 because it's an easier number, but let's be honest, no yeah, phones are $1,000 anymore. So that means that if I buy my phone at $2,000 cash right now, but you can buy a $2,000 phone over the course of 20 payments of $100 exactly the same, why should I spend my money? when I can spend their money, because that tells me, this happens with cars too, that the interest yep. rate is built into the price of it now. So I'm paying the interest rate no matter what, whether I finance it or I don't finance it. Taz, should I spend their money? Okay, so this is the one place, and I'm glad you brought it up. I was going to bring it up anyway. When there is, quote unquote, zero interest, then you've got to think to yourself, exactly like you said, the interest is built in. So if I took my $2,000 and stuck it into this high interest savings account or this amazing GIC or, you know, can I park my money somewhere else at 2% interest, 3% interest? Or, you know, can that money actually be making more money over here? And if so, and if that's what you're actually going to do with it, why not take advantage? And so that comes into play, especially in some of these bigger purchases, like you mentioned cars, furniture, things like that. When you've got the zero interest now, in most situations, it's zero interest for 60 months or it's zero interest for six months or whatever it is. And that's the part that I want people to really pay attention to. So if it's zero interest for six months and then after six months, it's going to 18% interest, my recommendation is figure out how much how much do I need to pay per month to get this paid off at the end of six months. Put that aside somewhere so that when your six months of interest-free is over, you're paying it off in full and you're not carrying the interest that's going to make that $2,000 turn out to be eight, nine, ten thousand dollars well, dollars but, but you're right. Discipline, though, Those Tess. zero interest ones have it built in. Okay, what about this? No interest. Just finance it with a $50 financing fee. Okay, and this is the other thing. What are the fees? What are the fees that are being charged to give you 0% um, off? The $50 is very rare. Usually there are other fees. There's an administrative fee. There's a, you know, deferring the payment fee. There's a, a made up fee of some sort or another. And so you've got to actually look at that. And I'm not going to make a blanket statement. What, what this conversation is about is you and I playing a little bit of devil's advocate so that when your listeners are out there making these purchases, they're playing devil's advocate in their head. And that's really the biggest story here is buy now, pay later is here. And it's probably here to stay. Um, the governments are looking into it. They're monitoring it. It's about us as consumers being really savvy and figuring out how and when do I take advantage of that so that I'm getting ahead versus falling further behind. 
Now, this is not really regulated the same way as a loan company, and it's problematic because it's not subject to the same rules. Loan companies have caps on interest, they have caps on fees and everything else, so these things could have hidden traps buried in them that people don't know about and get you caught. Taz, I when we talk about money, I mean, this is sort of everything that your life that you do. The reality is, though, is if we go there and we can't afford it, we can't afford it. We fundamentally, I mean, if you want to be like super finance guy and Robert Kios, uh, what's his name? The uh, uh, rich dad, poor dad. David Ramsey, probably. Dave Ramsey. Um, there's Robert Kiyosara. Is that his last name? He's the rich dad, poor Kiyosaki. dad guy. Kiyosaki. Uh, and then there's um, there's the Eat the Frog guy. Like th- these guys, they they all have amazing books on being very disciplined and using the money systems to your advantage. But unless you're prepared to be that detailed in your finances, do we just need to need to settle down and say, I can't afford this. I need to declare to myself that I can't afford this. I I have a friend who says, if you can't afford to buy that item twice in this moment, if you can't buy that $2,000 phone, if you can't buy two of them right now, if you can't afford to buy two of them right now, you can't afford to buy it. So there is something to be said. And We're in this world of instant gratification. Like, God forbid, you got to put something in the microwave for two minutes. It better be done in one minute, right? I'm like that. I always say when God was handing out patience, I didn't have the patience to wait in line, right? So (laughs) That's pretty funny. This idea, this is our parents, or at least my parents' generation was like, can't afford it right now. We'll buy it when we can afford it. Our, Our generation isn't like that because we've always had the option to make payments. And again, I'm going to say in some cases, it does make sense. When you're buying a home, get a mortgage and make payments on it for the next 25 years and then figure out a way to, instead of 25, make it 10 years. Okay. But trinkets and gadgets and clothing and, you know, some of these things, we, we really need to think about it. And I think we just, to me, it's all about choices. So um, I have a friend who You know, when he actually sat down and did a budget, so he thought he spends about $75 a month on Starbucks. When he sat and did his budget, it was $400 a month. Now, easy for someone to be like, you shouldn't spend $400 at Starbucks. You know what he did? He's like, my life is crazy. I drive my kids to all these, you know, activities. I'm sticking with the Starbucks. I'm going to have to cut something else out of my budget. So I think that's the message here. Yes, we could delay gratification. Yes, we need to read the fine print. Have a look at if it's 0%, how long is it 0%? What are all the other fees? And at the end of the day, can you truly afford it? And what's the trade-off? Maybe you're going to say, I'm not delaying gratification. Okay, there is a trade-off to that. Are you digging yourself into debt further? Are you giving up something else? And if you're cool with that, as financial experts, we're cool with that. But if it's taking, if it's robbing you from investing in your RSPs, or if it's robbing you from, you know, being able to take care of a vehicle emergency because we know those things are going to happen, then it there's cause for pause. Yeah. Well, if you don't have the money, you don't have the money. And if you need it, you need it. Like, I mean, if you need a nice shirt to go to the job interview and whatever, whatever, then, you know, you're at that place where you might as well roll the dice. But You know, I just, it's this not buying assets and just buying things and creating debt. I mean, debt should involve some sort of asset building, right? Let the money work for you. Scary stuff though, Taz. Like when we, when we talk about this stuff, that this instant gratification, this instant access, I mean, we are creating a world that will always be chasing its tail. It's a good way to put it for sure. It's terrible. Um, okay, so how do we look at this truly? We're going to these, uh, how do we teach this to the young folks? We're going to these websites. We see it right there. Buy your hoodie. Maybe a wildly overpriced hoodie that's $200 just for a hoodie. And then you... Have you been talking to my niece? No. Well, no, I mean, I don't want to throw Ryan under the bus here, but Ryan has told me that some of the hoodies he's looked at are $200 for a hoodie. And that's yeah. absurd for a hoodie. Right. So having the conversations, I really, again, literally my niece has just done something similar that, you know, Drake has this line and it's all the rage and she's been wanting that hoodie. And so her and my sister have conversations around this, right? How much money do you have? 
What is your budget? How long are you going to wear this thing? They ended up finding it at a thrift, uh, you know, at a consignment shop online. But it again, it's about having conversations. And I'm the la- like I'm the last person who I don't want a ton of government regulation, and I don't want these blanket statements where we're like, never do this. But we need to. I, I feel like we kind of you know you think about when you tap to pay for something where I sometimes we're like zombies and I'm guilty of it for sure. Where you're just kind of like making the purchase, making the purchase. What we need to do as adults, and then we can help our children do it is take a pause, take a beat and just think it through for a moment, work the numbers, figure out, is it a need or want, figure out what you're giving up for it. And if at the end of the day, the $200 hoodie is still worth it. It's in your budget. It's not robbing you from your assets. Then you buy it and you stop thinking about it. <laughs> so when I tap though, I, here's what my habit is with my credit card. I go get gas. I fill up on my credit card and then I get in the car and I send the payment to the credit card. Um, so good. But when I tap and I go to Costco and I tap for 120 bucks and then I put it back in my wallet and I walk away, I don't, my brain doesn't compute it the same way. And then later in the day, I'm like, I'm doing really good. Like I haven't spent any money today. I forgot that I bought gas or I bought that, right? Like I forget about it. And then you go look at it. And you're like, oh, I missed that $70. And now I'm short. So, I mean, it is very real, the experience of it, no matter how disciplined that you want to be, you can get yourself caught so quickly or you go out and you run errands on the weekend and you buy yourself the pair of socks that you needed because your socks have holes in the toes and then you got the groceries. But by the way, there's the gas and then the kid wanted to go to the movie. And by the end of the day, you had $500 to get to the end of the week. And then now you're looking at it, you have $120. You're like, that was a very expensive day today. We don't, we don't have that tangible cash in the wallet Oh, my wallet's empty thing. Most of us don't anymore. And I think I I want us all to give ourselves grace as well. We're all human. Like you said, generally you get in the car, you make the payment. I do that most of the time as well. And sometimes I do miss it, right? We're going to miss it. And you're right. Uh, For a while there, I I was a cash in the envelope girl. I had an envelope that said gas. I had an envelope that said miscellaneous you know and when i would take out my envelope my friends were like what what are you doing (laughs) i definitely got a little flack for it but hey that's what i needed at that time to be disciplined and not end up end of the month going "Uh oh there's still bills to pay and there's no more money and then you know that's how you end up at those payday loan places or you know a lot of that you know borrowing for from friends which ruins that whole relationship so but let's give ourselves grace. Nobody's perfect. We're all human. And, you know, the big thing is if you do get yourself in trouble, acknowledge it and seek out that the right help for it. That's, I think, a really big one. I think sometimes we can start. We're so independent. And um, especially as Canadians, like we're so polite and we just feel like we don't want to bother anybody. If you're going down a slippery slope, you're not bothering anyone other than yourself and your future self get help reach out to federally legislated debt professionals and get it taken care of sooner rather than later and just be careful of loan companies that's a thing too um taz rajan is with uh, community engagement partner bromwich and smith and that's what they do they help you with the debt and all the things you can give them a google thank you so much taz for this insight be careful when you're shopping online it's a it's a it's dangerous out there thank you so much shane great conversation This is the Shift Podcast. Welcome to the world of weird things with Greg Fish. Now, Greg Fish is a weird guy. Safely put. Uh, he's a computer scientist and he's been an entrepreneur and all of these things. He's lived in many different places around the world. And every now and then there's a topic that Greg Fish writes an article on on worldofweirdthings.com. And I can see his little smirk. Now, Greg joins us on our Zoom call so we can see each other when we have this conversation on the radio. But Greg Fish has this little smirk when he's up to something and poking fun maybe at people. And I have a sneaking suspicion that this is one of those days. Is that a fair ball, Fish? Oh, that's that's fair. I think I think you know me pretty well by this point. Mm-hmm. That's uh, that's that's pretty spot on. 
Okay, cool. All right, so doomsday plans of the rich and fabulous. I like the fabulous. <laughs> it just adds an extra level to this article. So where are we going today? Today we are going to talk about the luxury bunkers and the people who are spending many millions of dollars on them and why they're spending those millions of dollars. So I don't know if you remember 2012 and the whole Mayan doomsday panic, the world mm. was going to end. Um, I thought this was hilarious. Mrs. F- Mrs. Fish thought it was hilarious. So we actually got married on doomsday and basically turned the whole reception into a doomsday party and people got a huge kick out of it. Um, I think there was one person who we invited who thought it was serious for about 30 seconds and was quite worried about us, but we, we managed to uh, convince them that we're not. But you see the problem right now is that, you know, if you look at the at the news, the world isn't doing so well. Uh, mm-hmm. So there are some very wealthy people out there thinking, well, what happens when society finally does collapse? I, I would very much like to continue my lifestyle of, of wealth and, and opulence and power. Um, so I think I'll take it underground for a while until things blow over and then, you mm-hmm. know, we'll see what we'll get to do. And I kind of wanted to dive into some of the things that they're planning and some of the things they're talking about because, you see, a lot of these people are tycoons and they're managers and they're used to hiring people to kind of solve big problems for them. And they, in this specific case, they hired um, a man named Douglas Rushkoff, who is a writer and a theorist and a futurist. Um, and he wrote an entire book about the subject. And it's very consistent with what I've seen in other – reported in other sources – Everything from uh, everything from Vice to the New York Times to every single outlet that essentially talks about this culture of very wealthy doomsday preppers and what they're actually thinking. Okay, so when I see this stuff, fish, I imagine a couple of things. I imagine like giant yachts that can get you out to sea that you can live on for long periods of time. I imagine bunkers underground that might have basketball courts. I imagine all kinds of really wild and not uncomfortable things that people could be doing in the background. I kind of want to go Dr. Evil in some sort of genetics cryo thing. Am I anywhere close here in my imagination? You are very close. Up until the genetics cryo thing, you were there. Really? Because the genetics cryo thing really requires an, uh, a power supply of reliability that we sim- simply do not have. <laughs> like I can't the, believe that's the that's the reason why we're not saving our frozen heads. Okay. That's, literally that's, the only reason right now. I okay. mean, the whole revival thing is going to be a bit of a pain, but uh, sure. yeah, right now it's really the the power supply that's the problem. Uh, okay. But yes, you're absolutely correct. We're talking about we're talking about these opulent underground compounds, uh, but then these these people who are building these compounds and are spending tens of millions of dollars on them uh, underground in New Zealand, in Alaska, in in places where they think they're going to be able to just like ride out the apocalypse for a few years. They're going to say, okay, I'm going to bring my security with me. But um, what what happens when the world actually ends and my money is worthless? Like, I mean, yes, I'm paying them now. So they'll say, yes, we'll come down to the bunker with you. But when the world actually ends, how do I get them to, you know, follow my lead? Do like one person was asking about obedience color callers. Another person was asking about robots. Uh, a third person was asking about some sort of like a special combination to the lock that only they know. Um, and, and really the, the thing is once you lock yourself in a apocalypse bunker with a bunch of highly trained armed people, they are now in charge of you and not the other way around. That's just how that works. Uh, because at that point, your money is about as valuable. No, actually, no. It's less valuable than batteries, toilet paper, and flashlights. Like, your your trillions of dollars are gone. And and that's and that's just and that's just the way it is. And and this is the part that really gets me. This is the this is the part that I find kind of scary. You have people who are worth billions of dollars, essentially saying, you know, I know that my money is going to be worthless. And maybe, maybe all these hippies that I'm hiring 
telling me that, hey, maybe use some of that wealth to maybe pay a little bit more in taxes to make people's lives a little nicer so they don't, you know, rebel and cause a collapse of the environment or another massive depression and and massive instability. Um, Use it to fight maybe climate change so you can manage migration of people throughout the globe and, and, and help countries stabilize, or maybe just, you know, try and avoid this fate. And they say, now nah, let me focus on getting myself a really nice bunker and figuring out what to do after I lock myself in there for, you know, who the, who knows how long, like that is like, at that point you have to look at it and say, that sounds a little bit less, like planning and prepping and more of a pathology because if you have the ability <laughs> to not lock yourself with people who will kill you if you annoy them mm-hmm. or deny them food and all you have to do is maybe pay a tiny little bit more in taxes and you say no I'd rather be summary executed for not opening opening the lock like that is you have to start asking about what your priorities in life are well, that's fair. Although I'm going to just add in one caveat, assuming that the money actually gets spent properly by the government, that is lofty of an expectation. But we can—that's a sidebar. I think we can. Well, no, throw actually, that out that's there. no, actually, that's not a sidebar. And you're absolutely right because you know the, the saying is that taxes—the uh, taxes are the price that we pay for civilization. And I do think that a lot of people very, very rightfully think that we are not getting our money's worth for that deal. And that mm. is part of the part of the thing that's really driving um, that's really driving that instability that they're afraid of because they they also read the news and they see that you know the UN comes together to talk about uh, political crises and climate change and they start asking all these world leaders who have been elected many of them with the backing of the very people who are planning this doomsday prep um, and they ask them okay what are your solutions what are you thinking and they say. Um, pass get back to me in another couple of years Mm -hmm. and it's obvious they don't have any solutions they don't know what they're doing there's there are a lot of clowns in charge around the world yeah and in yeah and in many and in many i i can't speak for every country but i can tell you right now in america the news media is a joke Really? Now, and now you know why. I'm, and now you know why I'm a Canadian radio, not an American radio, because I did, <laughs> I did say that to several people face to face. But yes, our media is a sick joke, and in many other countries, you have that that being emulated because it makes sense for the people in power to say, "Hey, why don't we just rile everybody up and have them really focused on being angry at everything other than." things that can you know other than the fact that the things that could improve their lives aren't being done and we'll mm-hmm. save some money which will with which we'll then build an apocalypse bunker and then dot 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 so that right. also that also tells you probably the people with the, with with most of the money right now actually actually almost all of the money right now in the world probably also should really start thinking things through Although there is a caveat because there is a subset of billionaires, people like Peter Thiel, who have decided, you know what? Yes, I'm going to build a bunker. But, you know, I'm not going down without a fight. In fact, what I think the the world needs is a fascist dictatorship. That's, that's what the, the world that's needs. The, yeah, that's the, that's the plan B. The voters oh, are boy. too stupid. They're not doing what I want them to do. So we're going to stabilize societies with an iron fist. We're going to stop this whole voting nonsense. We're going to appoint a pet tyrant who's going to do whatever I say, who's going to abolish all the laws that I think are troublesome. And then what we're going to do is we're going to force computer scientists and doctors to work on life extension and mind uploading, and then we will rule the galaxy. And I know that what I said sounds absolutely insane, but this is what Thiel and the billionaires with him actually legitimately believe and we talked about this during the long term as episode where they really have this this idea that people like me can flip a magic switch and store a brain in a computer that is functionally you and will be mortal and will not die and when we say that this is impossible they refuse to believe us because they really want it to be true and they have a lot of money and why can't we just make it work here's more money so what I hear in this is that it doesn't matter how much money you have, money can't fix stupid. 
Yes, that is exactly the <laughs> that is exactly the moral of the story. Money cannot <laughs> fix stupid, and right now we have stupid running an awful lot of things and yeah, refusing crazy. to give up those spots because stupid is making itself very rich. Even though, again, if stupid gets its way, all that money is going to be worthless. No, I mean, I, let's think about it. Let's think about it for a second. Let's say the world does collapse due to climate change by like 2200. Yeah. You're going to have people coming out of billionaires coming out of bunkers and saying, oh, you know, I used to run this world and I have billions of dollars in the bank. And they're going to say, what are you talking about? What banks? That Those have been gone for like 20 years. You're just some random vagrant who is who sounds like he's uh, that he's high. Uh, maybe mm -hmm. you need to go to this detox clinic. That's what's going to happen in the real world. It sounds world. like, um, actually sounds like an episode of the Umbrella Academy. Um, so, okay, so I imagined it being this sort of luxury. Maybe I didn't go deep enough on it. I, I imagined it being this luxurious underground city, kind of like Rome back in the day with all kinds of food and just this gluttony and these orgies and all of this wild underground rich people things that that used to see back in the day right like in in rome and all that stuff and sort of going resetting back to there and what you're proposing is that could be an element of it but really the egotism that says no no i've got the power when this all settles out you're going to make sure you take my brain, we use it, and I'm going to control the world after the fact. Am I hearing you? Yeah, pretty much. And okay. that, that whole, hey, I'm having this fabulous time of my life in my private bunker for about six months. And then the food starts getting scarce. The supply starts getting start getting scarce. Stuff is going to need to get maintained. People are going to start getting a little cabin thievery and a little ragey, and things are going to go south real real fast i mean look at look at covid and how people were going stir crazy after you know three four months at home mm -hmm. breathing the air still being able to you know walk their dog or go to the park and and they were okay no this is too much i'm i'm done this is this is enough and you think they're going to do that during the post apocalypse no right. okay no, they're so gonna, they're going to go completely nuts when the uh, when the world burns up or the meteor smashes into the earth or the zombies come or whatever it looks like, this apocalypse, what happens to the rest of us? They're rich. They have these big, beautiful bunkers. Uh, here we are in our townhomes and apartments. What is it that the rest of us do? Do we just become food? Well, here's the thing. They don't care what happens to us because as far as they're concerned, we are basically just meat with eyes. We're cannon fodder for their for their grand plants. That's it. That's all we are. They they don't can care we, what happens to us. Can we clip but out meat about... with eyes, please? Can we just acknowledge that right now? Can we just yes. say that? Some yes. words meat with eyes. Yes. Anyway, to sorry them, to interrupt. To them we are. Yeah. But but now this is the part where I'm gonna be a little bit more reassuring. Oh for you. <laughs> Good. Thank so you. a lot of the scenarios that you might be thinking of, you know, the world completely collapses. The likelihood of that happening is incredibly small. I mean, in terms of the asteroid hits, we just tested a mm -hmm. redirect mission that we talked about a little while ago when it launched. Um, we, we now have the power to divert asteroids if they come for us. So we're okay there. Um, the other, in terms of disease, we're actually making fantastic strides in understanding how to control pandemics and, and monitor pandemics. And really all that's left is the will to yeah. prevent the next big outbreak. Not polio, um, and, by the way, that one's coming back apparently. Well, I mean, there's Again. a reason why we had vaccines and we asked people to use See, them. See earlier comments that's of money doesn't, doesn't buy, fix stupid. Anyway, sorry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, but yeah, going, going back to that. But in general, the world is fairly safe. And typically when humans feel a little backed into a corner, they will fix things very rapidly. The issue is, and, 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 and the big problem right now is that there is this critical mass of pundits and very wealthy, powerful people who have a lot of professional trolls in employ who go after people who feel lost or feel bored or feel like they really can't change the world. They focus all of their anger and rage on something easy, 
okay, the Jews, the immigrants, what have you, the cl- the the, tra- the classic traditional targets. So they don't have to actually fix anything because it costs them money. So what they really are afraid of, the doomsday for these for these global elites, so to speak, if I if I can borrow the language, is not that you know we'll we'll go completely feral and overthrow them and the whole world will collapse. The nightmare scenario for them is that we will vote people who enable them out of power and say, no, we are actually going to run civilized societies and we will we will let you be rich and wealthy and, and whatever you want, but we're also going to make sure that we are also taken care of. We are going to make sure that we actually we actually have a 21st century economy and civilization not a 17th century one that you seem to enjoy so much. So what you're talking about is that, you know, Illuminati, Freemasons, Knights Templar, some sort of rich people, secret society is planning to have a hole in the ground with comfy couches. No, 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 no. They're not, they're not a secret society. They're all very out in the open. They talk about this all the time. They are very, they're very emboldened by it. But you know how I said that a lot of media in the United States and in a lot of Western outlets are kind of a joke. They treat it as, hey, maybe this person is not very smart and they're using their money in a really terrible self-destructive way. It gets treated as, oh my God, how dare you? Uh, 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 you know, are you going to call them Illuminati? You're going to, you're a conspiracy right. theorist. No, I'm literally listening to what they're talking about. They don't have are a we? plan. The, I wish we had. I wish we had some sort of secret society of very intelligent people running things. I would. I are, want that right now. I have a question though. Are, are we talking about the group of friends that Tom Cruise hangs out with on Sundays? Partially. Partially. <laughs> Okay, just thought I would ask. All right, if you want to find the article, you can. It's very easy. Worldofweirdthings.com is the website. I will link you to that at shiftheads.ca. It is our Facebook group. And um, it took me a few minutes to catch on, but I think I got it. It's fascinating stuff. And this is um, this is smirk-worthy. Greg Fish smirk-worthy on the scale of five smirks. Very good. Thanks for being here, Fishy. Appreciate it, buddy. Always a pleasure. Thanks for listening to the Shift Podcast. Make sure you subscribe, rate, and review the show and share with anyone you like. Get it on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and CuriousCast.ca.